You are listening to CFRO Community Radio Station. The upcoming show, Conscious Living Radio, is a program that explores frontiers of consciousness, spirituality, personal growth, emerging paradigms in psychology, health, science, and innovative philosophies that reflect commitment to the advancement of individual, social, and global transformation. Welcome to today's show. I'm Tasha Sims. And I'm Mark Curran. And this is Conscious Living, which airs Wednesdays, 6 to 7 p.m. on Co-op Radio in Vancouver, 100.5 FM. And we are talking about the Bhagavad but I knew I was going to do that. I was like practicing the pronunciation going, you know what, the second you get on air, you're going to mispronounce it. Bhagavad Gita. We're talking about a trans, a new translation. It's called Comes Alive, a radical translation. It's one of India's most translated books. Um, lots of authors have done it, but there's often misinterpretation. And our guest today will be discussing his recent translation and what makes the Gita an important book to be aware of in today's world. Um, one of our guests, Jeffrey Armstrong, also known as Kavindra Rishi, he's an award-winning poet, best-selling author of numerous books, including Spiritual Teachings of the Avatar, Ancient Wisdom for a New World. He's been featured in the CBC documentary Planet Yoga, the Leo award-winning documentary Take Back Your Power, Wings of Yoga, and two documentaries on Ayurveda and Psychology for Mind Valley. He has degrees in psychology, English literature, and history and comparative religion. He also spent five years in an ashram. His adult life has been dedicated to learning about, practicing, and teaching Vedic wisdom. And you've also got Sandra here with you, which I'm going to let you introduce. Okay, Jeffrey, welcome to the show, both of you. Thank you. Lovely introduction. Yes, this is my life partner, Sandy Graham. And 24 years ago, we came together with a common aim, which was we were both yogis and yoga practitioners and seekers of the ancient wisdom of India. And so we came together to bring this wonderful knowledge out into the world. And she is the publisher, CEO has 10 arms and makes everything happen in the Mm -hmm. most beautiful way. And together, we have now published the Bhagavad Gita, which is known as the Bhagavad Gita, Comes Alive, a Radical Translation. Sandy has made it happen, and I am the scholar teacher behind the content of the book. Lovely. Okay, well, before we dive into what makes it radical and unique, can you give us um, maybe a Coles Notes of how you ended up, both of you, on this particular path? Because it's quite specific. Yes. Well, let's think of it this way. We're in an era right now where because of the mass communication that we're capable of, we're finding out about everyone in the world in ways never possible before. We're also finding out about the scars and wounds and injuries that are still going on from colonization over the last 400 years, where some cultures went to other countries and kind of stole everything and treated them badly, sometimes enslaved them. Not things that 
are very nice to another human being. And we're in a stage of recovery because now that we can talk to each other, recovering is part of the process. The other part is if the culture had amazing gifts to give to the world, which India does, and a remarkable library in the world's oldest, most perfect language, then it, it takes a while to undo all of that colonizing damage and actually just bring it forward to the world as something to take a look at and appreciate it and try to understand. So that's what Sandy and I are engaged in. And bringing out this Bhagavad Gita has been the most important contribution that we're making to this process. And that's news at five right now is that Bhagavad Gita has come out and it's beautiful. I like so, to think of it as um, a conversation that took place 5,000 years ago and some say 7,500 years ago with the latest um, astronomical research. They've now dated it even further. So I like to think of it, if somebody spoke a conversation that long ago and it's still remembered today, there must be something important in it that humanity needs to hear. And that's why this book is so important and has lasted so long. Do you want to tell us a bit about the origins and how it, where it came from and what it means, actually? What does the, the title mean, Bhagavad Gita? The secret with these words is syllables, Bhagavad Gita. Well, I was listening to a chant, so I could sing it to you because that's what the <laughs> earworm is in my head now. But tr- now I'm I'm realizing, oh my God, I shouldn't have done it that songs, way. So that's yeah. And it was originally sung. People memorized it, had the whole thing. Even today, young children that's in right. India memorize the whole thing. Well, so let's make a differentiation at first. And with respect to all of those who embrace it, there are three religions in the world, the Judaic and the uh, Christian and the Islamic, and all religions have truths in them and beautiful things in them. So without any disrespect to all those people, India took a different approach. So India really doesn't have religions. Religions is religari in Latin. It means bound by a book of rules. But India has actually got a library. And that library is very ancient and has thousands of books filled with all kinds of knowledge. But just to give you a hint, surgery and medicine came from India. A book called the Shushruta Samhita, a surgery text, and the Charaka Samhita, a medical text, are thousands of years old, 3,000 years old, longer in practice. So this great culture has a huge resource of interesting knowledge. And what we've seen since colonization is without anyone spending money on it from India, hundreds of millions of people are now yoga practitioners throughout the world. Mm-hmm. Don't you think that's interesting? Mm-hmm. How, How do you that explain happen? that? Yeah, is it, exactly. Yeah, is it a virus? Is it like COVID? Only <laughs> it makes you happy. You know. So it spreads enlightenment. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things I'll tell you about it is yoga is for the individual, and it isn't telling them what to do. It's more like a user's manual, and this is our machine or computer or vehicle, and it didn't come with a user's manual. So yoga is all about how to be successfully in a body and use that to live both here and explore other possibilities, perhaps also. So the Bhagavad Gita is 701 verses, and it's the most concise summary in existence 
of all the fundamental principles of yoga. Nice. Process of mastering oneself. Is it important to devote ourselves to a certain person or God or tradition? Like what is, how do you see the nature of devotion? Because that seems to be prevalent in, in Indian, in the Indian approach, even though we're not saying it's religion, but there's in the spiritual approach. How do you see devotion? Well, let me give you a slight reversal on that. You might have noticed if you studied history that science as we know it came in through the works of Aristotle, which were discovered in a cave in Spain in the 12th century, translated into Arabic, but from Aristotle, one of the scientific most logical of the Greeks. You wouldn't call Aristotle's books religion, nor would you say that there's something you have to have faith in, nor would he. So that knowledge of Aristotle and his other fellow disciple of Socrates, Plato. Plato was the sort of philosophical, theological, telling you more about the why of life. Mm. And Aristotle was more the how of life. Socrates was the guru of both of them in Greece. And his guru, but 300 years earlier or so, 400, was called Pythagoras. Now, that's the Sanskrit, Pita Guru. Pita Gurus. Mm. So he, the first vegetarian in Greek history, had learned from India. This is the part that colonizers left out. So you might say that the Vedic library includes science, astronomy, mathematics, food, cooking, Ayurvedic medicine, how our bodies are made, the components they're made out of, how they function in nature. But then loving is a part of who we are and being attracted to beauty and each other. So all of those subjects are together. And the name for that emotion you were talking about is bhakti. Bhakti. And bhaj means to adore something and serve it. So one of the human conclusions is indeed to perfect yourself as a lover. But you could be a programmer and a lover theoretically, though we don't see too much of that. You see... A lot of programmers, and so they're called nerds. Well, only because they're so good at those very technical things. So probably we're all going to have little bits of these abilities in us. But some are more the lover, some are more the nerd, some are more the doer. Arnie isn't interested in loving Arnold Schwarzenegger or science, but he's all about I'll be back. Bhagavad Gita talks about the four kinds of yoga, and what Jeffrey is alluding to is bhakti yoga, karma yoga, jnana yoga, and ashtanga, ashtanga yoga, which is the physical yoga that most people are practicing right now. So that's where most people start until the body becomes balanced enough to put the meditation in. But let's answer the, the word yoga means to link. Right. Just think of that. It's just to make a link. We're in a yoga right now. We're linked and, by technology. And one would hope that whatever divine messages or path you're following translates into the world in some way. Otherwise, it's very, you might as well be at an ashram being a monk, right? <laughs> like yes. in your well, own bubble. There are stages when that's useful. And, and when you're young, that's when you're supposed to get that training. I did five years from 23 to 28. Right. That's when you essentially, it's like a PhD. Think of it that way. You can go in permanently, but most people don't do that because, like you said, they're going to have a life. 
but you can go in for training. So then it's just like college. It's learning how to be autonomous, how to go within, how to be connected to all the divine resources and also how to connect with the human ones, how to live in your body with the right foods and right herbs and the right lifestyle. So it, this is a library of knowledge. So it embraces all of these things and teaches about all of them. And, and again, includes many of those messages. I know I asked you about the origins. And so I wonder if you can bring Krishna into it and how that w- works. Because I, I tried to research it, but I don't know actually how it connects. Is it like, okay. you know, when I, I think of in Christianity, um, is, it, is there a parallel to the way the Bible um, includes Jesus, let's say? with Krishna or is it, how is it viewed in um, oh, Indian, from well, an Indian perspective? The, the three Abrahamic religions all showed us representatives of the Supreme, some shape or form. So Moses, Jesus, Muhammad, all came as spokespersons, hmm. which is perfectly legitimate. Sometimes they killed the messenger. That was maybe for Jesus. But at the very least, a messenger of the divine makes sense. At the same time, what if the supreme being also descends to earth sometime, appears in what looks like a human form, but is really here to play a game and to teach us who we are? So Krishna, or Bhagavan, is described as a supreme being coming to earth. Now, you know this other word as an avatar, Mm -hmm. because the film was made, but it didn't really reveal the meaning of that word as usual. But it was purloined and made into a quite amazing film. Even, I even wrote a book about it called Spiritual Teachings of the Avatar because everybody was already getting it wrong by watching the film. But at least they learned the Sanskrit word. Right. And ava means to descend. Tara means to heal and restore. So an avatar is a manifestation of the Supreme Being who comes to Earth, stays here a long time, doesn't just get crucified or give us a little bit of teaching, but makes a personal appearance amongst us, very user-friendly. For about 100 years, Krishna was on the ground 7,500 years ago. This might seem unbelievable, but one must think, what if it is a supreme being, what can't the supreme being do? Right. Tell me what can't be done, Sanjay says. Absolutely. So then, so then he, uh, Krishna would like share this with devotees or Krishna was the supreme person. Yeah. Uh-huh. In and, a conversation with Arjuna. And, and in a lifestyle. And who's Arjuna? Well, and in a lifestyle of a hundred, well, think of Arjuna as one of his best friends. Okay. So they're going to share, he's going to share knowledge with him, but that is what he's here for. So first of all, the avatar doesn't just come and randomly walk around. They spend their entire life creating situations where what they say and do remains instructive for future generations. Mm -hmm. So there are two books where an avatar did that. One is called the Ramayana, and the other, which contains the Bhagavad Gita, Mm -hmm. is called the Mahabharata. Maha is like mega in Latin. It means the great story that took place in Bharat in India of the descent of the Supreme to Earth Mm. and all of the different learning and truths and stories and people and characters that were all illustrative of some truth that is useful for us as humans to develop and self-actualize. So think of it 
as a large self-actualizing event for right. us. And instead of you needing blind faith to do it, you're supposed to become a student and you're not to, supposed to become subservient to anyone in the process, but rather have great questions and ask someone who knows. The one thing about the Bhagavad Gita, I think it's the literary book, if only you see it as literary, that every spiritually seeking person must read. It is just profound. And uh, Jeffrey's version, he's taken out a lot of the sectarian, the sexist, the Christian terminology that were not equivalent uh, words in the Sanskrit. So the difference with this Gita and all other Gitas out there is that it's two things really. There are no purports, which means you can read the book from cover to cover in about four hours and you feel we're getting reviews back in that people are saying, oh my God, I feel like I'm eavesdropping on the conversation between Krishna and Arjuna, it's just three of us. And the other thing is that the glossary, uh, which Jeffrey is quite well known for in all of his other books, is the uh, very clear definitions of the Sanskrit words. And one of the things that we're doing as publishers and, and with Jeffrey's work is introducing 200 or so new words into the English language. Now you already know some like karma, guru, and all of these other pundit, pundit these words that are have been in like the French or d'oeuvre. These are all introduced words into the English mm -hmm. language. But the English language is a merchant's language. It is not a spiritual language. In other words, the words are things that you can get things done, but abstract concepts uh, of explaining beyond, for example, the transcendental, the English does not have enough words or concepts to really explain that, and the Sanskrit does. And this is the work that Jeffrey has done in this book. He's just opened up 200 new words to the English-speaking audience. That's so and cool. Profound. It's really profound. When you and that's it. what makes it radical. That's why you're saying it's, a, it's one of the things that makes yeah. it radical. That's part of it. And, and you just won an award you were saying earlier. Tell us what that award was for. Yeah, we just got an, um, an announcement on Friday from um, the 17th Annual Best Book Awards announced uh, on Saturday. And Jeffrey was a finalist in the Eastern book category. Now, I couldn't imagine um, that we would win, but... The fact that we were a finalist is profound because the Harpers and Collins, Penguin, Random House, all the big guys are in there. So it's pretty exciting that uh, this book has placed as a finalist. So we're Congratulations. That's yeah. fantastic. So, yeah. Um, if we were to, you know, I want to dive into what makes it so transformational. I love your big picture. That was the best I've ever heard in terms of accessibility, it seemed to include everyone. It didn't say, hey, here's the truth. You got to follow, put down your whatever you thought was real and just follow me, which would drive me crazy. Yeah. Instead, you're offering um, me too, but. An, <laughs> an understanding of wisdom and guidance that could support us. And I do want to get into the specifics, especially at this time, which is so chaotic. That's Can true. we? Thank sorry. That. I wanted to share one more big mm. thing that, that every Bhagavad Gita out there, and there have been wonderful gurus that have done the purports, they've all called it a war story. And mm. when you actually read it, we read it, we read 100 Gitas, and we read ours, you know, 50 times just to make sure we had, it was precise, and we consulted Sanskrit scholars, and, you know, just to make sure that we had done the best job we could at the moment. 
because I'm sure the language will improve as we work on it more. But I wanted to say that the Bhagavad Gita is actually a love story. And this is what we put in the book. Once you took out all the male prejudice that was in that book, it was so very clear that this was Bhagavan, Sri Krishna, sharing the, his innermost secrets and love with Arjuna. And Arjuna represents us. So that's why we say it's not a war story. It's a love story in the context of the difficulties that we face in our day-to-day -day lives and as a person and as a country and in the world. What were some of those words that you took out that, that um, were important to? That. Well, this has been about a 10-year project in some ways, but it's been a 50-year project since I actually began I had a, a, a guru and a teacher in, in the ashram. He used me because I was a literature major to help translate his books into English. And at that time, I encountered this new language, Sanskrit. So this is an important part of understanding what we've done. You know there is Latin, and you know there is Greek. And sequentially, Greek came first, then came Latin, before both of them. And the source of both of them is the language Sanskrit. So just think of yourself as a literature major in college, and you're trying to understand language as a linguist. Mm -hmm. you're, you're a high-level user. You're all journalists, so you're all high-level users of language. You like words. You look at them. You examine them. You ask what they really mean. Mm -hmm. So I did the same. And if you do that with English, it leads you back to German if you, or Dutch or Scandinavian or some other place because it's a as Sandy said, it's a conglomerate language. Then it leads you back to Latin. And in our Renaissance, so-called historically Europe's, they dumped a couple thousand Latin words into English to make it smart. Because English was a dirt farmer's language prior to that. And when you dump that Latin in, it smarted up. And now it, you can use it for science. And instead, gardening. <laughs> instead of just growing potatoes. Yeah, you know, good at gardening. So then what we've done since then is we've accumulated thousands of words, literally hundreds of thousands of words. You might say we've colonized them. We took words from the French and words from here and words from there, words from the Chinese. And that makes English interesting. But it doesn't make it clear. Accurate. Or abstract meaning or accurate for scientific. Yeah. So the most scientific language on our planet, which has now been used as a role model for programming languages, is Sanskrit. 50 letters in the alphabet. There's no linguistic drift. It always means what it means. It's got a root to meaning to the words, and the word never deviates from the root. So Sanskrit was designed to pass knowledge forward through history without loss or distortion. Now, imagine this, that during colonization, it was after all, and I just have to say this once, it was very embarrassing. Just ask yourself, would Jesus go around the world with weapons and steal everything from people, make them slaves, take all their stuff, and tell them that they're not very nice because they have a certain color skin? Would Jesus do that? The Jesus you've heard about? I don't think so. So then it was Christianity, though, bearing the name of Jesus Christ, who went around the world and did that. Yeah. See? So I don't call that Christianity because I know sincere Christians. I call it Christianism. 
It's when you steal the ideas and do things in the name of it. Well, we see the same politics too, so you get it. They all get it. It happened then too. So because it happened, a whole bunch of Christian words got stuck inside the translations of the texts of this library of Sanskrit knowledge, which, as I said, is every scientific subject you can imagine. So now, this had to be removed from the book to make it be honestly what it really was. But as Sandy said, there are words in Sanskrit that we've never used in English, like karma is one of those. There is mm -hmm. no word for karma in English because karma means cause and effect from life to life. Can and you think of an English word that exactly means that? Right. And of course, that is the Christian heresy that we have reincarnation. Yeah. So there, you know, in the background, there's this battle going on amongst people. And one is a sort of blind faith, do what you're told. I'm in charge. You do this, not philosophical approach. The other loves questions is very philosophical and has all the sciences present, including um, an emotional relationship with the source of everything. That's the Vedic library, and that's the Bhagavad Gita. So we took out all of those words that never should have been. Heaven, hell, sin. Angel, devil. And now one more thing I have to say for your choice and everyone's choice. Just think, if I explain life, but I don't talk about the ladies, or I explain life and say, there are two kinds of beings, the masculine and the feminine, emanating from the source of everything, and they became the amazing beings we see here. And P.S., the ladies are the most amazing. The fact that we neglected them is terrible in every regard. They're the most beautiful. They're, they're divine intelligence. They're the in the image of Mother Earth. So if I said to you, the Vedic civilization always had, like most indigenous cultures, a male and female divine to explain the divine females and that she thinks so and divine males. So but within each person beyond gender, not only correct? Within, you, correct. That's, that's a next jump. But okay. I mean, embodied. There's no explanation for the female. That's the problem we're still trying to kill. She's not allowed in. Do you know that in the First Nations, the women were in charge of choosing the chief of the tribe? They were in charge of the military. They were in charge of all of the judiciary. Why? Because they didn't use power. They used wisdom and character. These things have not been revealed because we just got colonized for 400 years. And we had a very harsh, masculine, weapon-based, dominant world. Right. So really, there's a renaissance right now of recovering from that. That's all. Now, that doesn't help to be mad at anybody. It wasn't the people around us now. But it does help to say what really happened. People were treated really badly. And what I'd like to do is not only translate the Bhagavad Gita, but go to every First Nations tribe, every culture around the world that was trampled by history. Make amends. Yeah, make amends. Not only that, but give them a budget for bringing out a book about their culture so they can show how beautiful they are. Mm-hmm. Show us whatever they remember of their original languages. The other heresy is that it is an only a male god, whereas India has maintained that it is both male and female. Divine. So when you say Bhagavan Sri Krishna, um, I'll let Jeffy explain Bhagavan and why we use Bhagavan. Every other uh, Gita uses God, the Christian word, but we use Bhagavan. So when you say Bhagavan Sri Krishna, 
the shri part is the feminine. So the female is always partnered with the divine male. In fact, our word sherry comes from the Sanskrit shri. You know, sherry, sherry baby. <laughs> A really beautiful female is sherry. But, and that's why the wine is called sherry. So then that's from shri, the beautiful mother divine, feminine divine, source of everything, carnucopia, makes everything wonderful, beautiful, your mother, your grandmother, all these beautiful ladies. And why in the world haven't we told about, talked about them as a love story? I mean, we did, Romeo and Juliet, but they kiss and then they get to die. That's not a great story. The romance should go on. Whereas in Krishna's life that was documented from before he was born, right up to the end, um, and it's just an amazing story and it's a love story of uh, you would say radha and krishna so the shri is radha in fact what you asked about isn't it a form of worship well yeah but not exactly so think about this on a personal basis think that a, a person your court uh, is courting you and you're having a relationship but they're terribly afraid of you and bow down on the ground all the time and they're so afraid of you that they yeah, keep no. doing that yeah. Hard to get into it, right? Very hard. It brings yeah. out the worst. The worst. They're terrified, they're terrified of you. Don't hurt yeah. me. Don't hurt me. It's kind of like Wayne's word. So, yeah, it makes me want to hurt them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wake up. Yeah. Off your knees. Yeah, yeah. Not at all. You but what is the biggest secret anyone could tell you, and this is about Bhagavan and Arjun, but it's about us, is that the ultimate supreme being really wants some kind of loving relationship with all of us. Whatever you want, not you have to do. Mm -hmm, Which mm -hmm. one do you want? What flavor do you want? So can, can we dive into that? Is this connected with, I did read something about the paths that uh, Krishna was advocating, action, devotion, knowledge. Is this connected, what you're saying right now, where you would pick um, the path that, that, resonates the deepest for you as a as a being sure. and maybe if that's true maybe you can give us a taste of what those paths are and how they might even apply today exactly sure well let's use the word that's used in sanskrit it's rasa say and that again rasa r-a-s-a rasa. rasa means the flavor you can't talk about love without talking about what flavor of love right if i say i love you then you say, like a grandmother, like your mother? Like ice cream? Like, I like, like I my puppy? Pizza. I love my puppy. Yeah, I say puppy love. Mm -hmm. So it, because English, once again, only has one word, love. Sanskrit has hundreds of words for the flavors of love that you're experiencing. Because if you want or you see the potential of that. So what if all of us could be best friends of the Supreme, could be lovers of the Supreme, could be servants of the Supreme? could be just happy knowing the Supreme, no pressure. You choose. What if we get to choose the rasa? The emotion the that flavor, we want to have. The emotion. And what if you say, no, I don't want that yet. And we don't go, uh, I'm sorry, but you really have to. Instead, we say, that's okay. That's up to you because you're the one you love. <laughs> you're the one mm -hmm. who's going to exchange the love. So if you're not ready for it, just study silence. <laughs> So there's a lovely there's a lovely verse in the Gita where, where Krishna says, and I think it's also said similarly in Christianity, how you approach me, I will reciprocate ten times. 
So, so, so what are these different ways? What's the difference between a path of devotion, a path of action, and a path of knowledge? So here's how it starts out. It starts out like we do, just getting education. And for that, you need a Q&A about how everything works. So that's a yoga. And it culminates in trying to understand, like most brilliant scientists, how to be correct, connected with the cause and effect of nature. But don't you think it's a little ironic that science says there's no cause? So if there's no cause, why is there cause and effect? Why is everything purposeful? And if there's no ultimate purpose, if the only reason you wouldn't say there is is because you're afraid, what if you weren't afraid? What if there's no fear in this? What if you don't have to believe anything? But you do see the world as a great invention. I like to use the example of a hummingbird. You ever seen a hummingbird? Mm -hmm. yeah. Aren't they amazing? They're on your porch drinking from the hummingbird feeder. And they're amazing. So now tell me, could you invent a hummingbird? Could you put feathers in place? The together? smartest scientists on the planet invent one. Do they make one? Best programming? So why don't we just look at that bird as an invention and say, I want to meet the inventor. So this is called Jnana Yoga, J-N-A-N-A. Jnana or science. It's not this, not that. Yes, this, not that. It's the analytical study of everything. And in the Vedic library, you can do that as long as you want. There's no rush until right. you've studied everything. And when you're done at a certain point, you'll go, well, that's not everything though. I could take a different approach instead of studying it. You know, what if you're, you know, again, I'll use a metaphor. What if you had a boyfriend and you kissed and you said, how is that for you? And he said, well, my pulse went up about <laughs> one and a half degrees. Um, my blood pressure changed this amount, and I felt a transformation happening in many of my different systems. And uh, how about for you? <laughs> right. We we would think, hmm. Okay. Next. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> yeah. But what if the, you your boyfriend could change hats and was a great scientist and could talk about anything analytically? Take that on hat off and put on to get things done. Out, he cleans the house, he fixes things. He goes around, that's called karma yoga. He does everything, he's a doer. So action. Yeah, it's action-oriented. So mm -hmm. what if he takes that hat off now, and next he puts his in love with you hat on. And not only in love with you, but in love with life, in love right. with everything. So hey, he's demonstrating his love all the yeah, time. Well, isn't this what we like about the Italians? Hey, my love, our love. You're welcome so much, come here, give me a hug. It's a culture based on love. So we go there for that flavor. If you go I'm, to Italy, I'm waiting for my flavor. So keep going, Jeffrey. <laughs> Aha. So far, it's neither of those two. <laughs> well, the basic three are the three I said. It's deep emotions, profound emotions, Basti. amazing emotions. Basti. It's also artistry of all kinds, because artistry is really an emotional and technical response to science. You just respond differently as an artist. You paint it. You speak of it as a poet. You draw it. So there's knowledge yoga, science-based yoga. There's emotion-based where you connect with everything emotionally. Then there's action-based where you do everything. 
climb mountains, go here, do that, travel, help out here. Then you actually make practical service be what you do and you go feed people. And Sandy and I have a food program that's been going on for a long time. It's called Spud Patrol. And it's here in Vancouver. We serve baked potatoes to thousands of people. When do you do uh, that? Um, well, we do, we do it once a month. Um, right. Then in Vancouver, down in the east end, of course, COVID is, is restricted. It but slowed it down. Nanaimo also has one, and we have different other cities in the United States that do it. So it's been going on for oh. 20, 20 years. Yeah. The street oh. people there voted us the best uh, thing going out best on the streets food. to help them. <laughs> best street food was a baked potato with sour cream, chives, and cheese. Yum. Can we make sure Mark gets that info too? So if people, our listeners actually want to go down to the Lower East well, right Side and be involved, they can get the yet. info. It's not it happening at all. For a while. It hasn't mm-hmm. been for COVID. We started it about 20 years ago and we've been doing it on and off. But that's karma yoga is what I'm saying. Right. That's where you take action. Okay. So some people like to take action, but why don't you learn all of them and wear different hats? So we have three so far. Questions and details and learning scientifically. And we have emotions and emotional responses. And then we have, uh, because isn't that part of our brain? Can we say IQ, EQ, emotional? And if I, and then we have, ah, what so was that? Yoga is third IQ. What if you can see what's beyond what's obvious? Right. You know, the mystics of all times throughout history had a special eye they could see with. In India, they talk about it a great deal. So yoga, the fourth way of being, Ashtanga yoga, not those all were yogas, but Ashtanga yoga is the asana, it's how you breathe, it's how you live, it's your lifestyle, and then it's meditation and turning within, and then it's mantra chanting and reaching for higher states of consciousness, just like we're wireless. So an Ashtanga yogi is a wireless connector to ultimate reality. And within that are the eight limbs of yoga. So That's it's cool. multiple layer upon layer. And as you pursue each one, you pursue it at a deeper and deeper level. This is one of the reasons, um, you know, you really, sure you could do it by yourself, but it's just so much easier if you have an experienced teacher yeah. to guide you along the way. Why wouldn't you have a coach? It does not mean that that person takes over your life. That is not guru. Yeah. Guru simply means one who removes the darkness so you can see what you do with your life or what the, t- the teacher teaches you is up to you. And okay. the teacher teaches you to discern, to ask the right questions and to follow your path, not follow behind. <laughs> can, can we segue to relationship? Cause I'm fascinated actually with, with everything we've covered and I know we're going to run out of time, but no. it, you know, we all hunger sometimes just to, to live in that state of love and joy, but I'm, I really need to bring to the table the shadow and how it gets activated in especially partnership, romantic relationship. I mean, people um, get so reactive and triggered. And I just want to understand your approach. Um, You can be personal if you want, which I'd really like, or even generally, what do you do to be that voice of love and light and yet at the same time not feel like you're doing some spiritual leapfrog ignoring um, the human aspect that might be activated based on your past? It's a long answer. (laughs) Let me give you the the simple approach here. We teach a relationship seminar called the ultimate relationship seminar. And so the first thing we say to people is, you know, 
when you went to get a driver's license, you had to study driving for six weeks. But if you go to get a marriage license, you can get it in six minutes. Mm. Do we see evidence that people should possibly get a little training in intimacy and relationship before they get married? Oh, a little. Just a little. So maybe maybe even in grade school would be a good place yeah. to start. It'd be a great place to start. Well, you know, yeah. this is I'm going to bring this back because Jeffrey could talk quite a, at length mm. on, on the relationship. But I'm going to set it up. But one of the, let me set okay. that up. The, so the the thing that's missing is let me give you a paradigm. We are called the Atma. Atma simply means the consciousness residing in the body. The consciousness is the part that always existed and always will. So to put it very simply, yoga says there's no such thing as death. There's only shedding a body, and if you're still involved here, getting another one. This is the most unique feature of the Vedic civilization, because this is elaborated completely. So just think for a moment, that you've already had thousands of bodies before you got to the one you're in right now. Think it, it's a vehicle, now, let me ask you, would you say a bunch of things about the functionality and ability and capability of cars just by their paint job? Obviously not. Obviously. I say, you say, obviously, I wish, but then we do it with color of skin. So to yogis, this body is just our vehicle. Mm. But that's important because in order to make two vehicles drive down the street together, if you strap the Volkswagen a pickup truck good match i, I wouldn't it? be doing it i wouldn't be doing it can't go off road you'll ruin the volkswagen right. so neither one of them are happy so what if there are elements in us that you can know about and the vedic knowledge teach them and i'm going to ask sandy to explain one of them so what if there's a knowledge of this that makes you know how to be with this sandy the first one is called? Well, it's called the gunas. It's, it's the rajas, tamas, and sattva. And the Bhagavad Gita covers the gunas in de great detail. And it's, it shows you how the gunas work in relationship, in um, how you give charity, how you work, how you do everything in life. And when you learn these three principles, it's like putting on a pair of glasses and you can see a, a, a pattern. It's like pattern recognition throughout your entire life. And when you learn that, children learn that in India at a very young age. Mm. We don't learn, uh, you know, well, we don't ever learn relationship skills. Very rarely do people take the time. But this basis, it sort of helps you go through life. And Krishna talks about these gunas and how, he doesn't say you should do this. He just says, when you behave like this, it's a rajasic guna or a tamasic guna or a sattvic guna. And if you're on a evolutionary path you want to be more sattvic so in relationship if you're not behaving sattvic which means kind loving all the good qualities that we like we say tamas has entered the relationship in other words it's destructive it's anger it's uh, my way or the highway it's all of those qualities and when you see it when you're in a relationship you can easily say to your partner you know i love you but Thomas has entered the situation. Let's not go down that road. So you see it as an, uh, a, 
a principle that you're slipping. Let's put it that way. So it's kind of like a, a roadmap that you can use or a principle that you can use throughout your life and everything in work, um, how what we're doing to the environment, how we bring up our children, the kind of foods we eat. All of that is a principle that you can use universally. So let can me I just, just ask a, a question about that? Because the word, when you're slipping into those behaviors, there's usually, not usually, I would say almost always fear there. Like wherever that, whatever behavior it is, and without getting specific, there's a source of fear that mm -hmm. is at the, its root. So isn't that connected with our wounding and not something to be avoided, well, but something to be healed? Yeah, that's because our platform in the West isn't, we're not on a solid platform. And this is where the Vedic platform comes in. And this is why the knowledge is so important. The yeah. gunas are from a Sanskrit word, gu. And the matter around us is called the gu, G-U. Now, the where the gunas come from is there are three activities inside the matter. And one is creation, one is destruction, and one is maintaining or balance. So those are called the three gunas. They're not objects, they're states of energetic existence. Mm -hmm. So... Within matter, everything that is created will eventually be destroyed. The destruction and recycling part is called tamas or darkness. The creation part is called rajas, which is where the word maharaja comes from. And it means very dynamic creator. And then the last word is sattva, and sat means always true. So nature is made up of these three actions. They're verbs, not nouns. Something is being created, it's rajasic. Or you're in a creative mood, that's rajasic. Making a baby, that's rajasic. Raising a baby, that's sattvic. It's rajasic just takes a little effort and you run at it and you're all excited and then you're done. It's created to die. But sattva means you have to watch it every day. You have to water it every day. That's, that's a longer truth, you could say. A, a steadier truth. If something is rajasic, you can hurt yourself also. If you're trying to do something and exerting very hard, pain can come from that. So rajas, it's also when your desire turns into anger. You know that moment? when you really want something and then all of a sudden you're yelling or you're yeah, angry? That never happened. No, me either. <laughs> so that you went from rajas to tamas. If you are went Are you going to weave this to our wounds? Because I, I, I'm holding on waiting for you to weave it back to the wounds. I didn't hear an answer to that question. Yes, of course. Okay, good. Because sattva is this balance point. So have you seen this before? It doesn't mean prayer. It comes from India. It doesn't come from Christianity or Islam or Judaism. This means sattva. It means going back to the balance point. There's three gunas. One is the intensity of creation. One is the intensity of destruction. And one is the precision of balance. Until you know how to go back to sattva guna, 
you'll be dragged by your desires in Rajaguna, or worse, you'll destroy things out of your anger and frustration in Tamaguna. Do you see that's what's creating the wounds? That's where the wound comes from. Holding on to the wound is not sattvic. You'd go, oh, I'm holding on to something that's not necessary. And so when you trigger, or maybe, I don't know what your personal situation is, but most couples trigger each other. The closer they get, there's an activation that seems to occur that if people take personally, which leads to all kinds of perhaps what you're talking about. But my question really is when you're triggered in a relationship, what's your, what do you advocate? The first thing you say is namaste. What does that mean? It means I was forgetting for a moment that you're a divine being inside of this vehicle. I forgot the driver and I got distracted by the matter, by the goo. So now, first, before we go forward, I'm going to go back to my balance point. Sorry for a moment. Like you push the pause button. No, I like that. I like that. Go back to your balance point. That's like step one. Great. It means you have to go in the other room for a few minutes. Yeah. You've got to stop the karma. But, but you've got to understand, this is why everyone in India goes namaste. Because what they're saying is, I want to have a balanced relationship with you. Right. And I see you as a divine, undying, unkillable being yeah. right. inside a body made of goo yeah. with rajas, sattva, and tamas being my three choices. So I want to see you sattvically. Now, let me make that very concrete. In the Vedic culture, when you are sharing the knowledge of the Vedas with someone, there is no coercion, no conversion, only friendly conversation. So with all the, I get it. And with all the polarity that's going on right now, because there's so many sides, people are living in these, I'm right, I'm right, that whole, I mean, it's been amped up. And I know we're going to run out of time, but what's your, what's your take on that? I was just going to quickly add that the Bhagavad Gita was spoken at the moment of an age conflict, the called the Kali Yuga. And the Kali Yuga means the age of opinion. And Mm. we are surely in the age of opinion right now, and it's getting worse. So you can see that the yogis of 5,000, 7,000 years ago knew that this age was coming, they spoke about it, and they wrote down the Vedas, which had previously been memorized, because at that age, the intellect was so great, they didn't need to write. So now they wrote it down, and the Bhagavad Gita is a message that is passed forward from that time for these times. It is really the message of this time. So Tasha, let me ask you a question. You ever lived in Hawaii for some period of time? I've been many times, but not lived. You know what this means, right? Surfer boy going, come have, come have a drink with me, Tasha. Yeah, no. there you go. <laughs> you no, interpreted no. that wrong. Yeah, I, I, I it it, works, it works for me. <laughs> what can I say? You know what I, mean? I don't. It's shaka. And it means chill out. Be, be balanced. Wait a minute, you're too excited. Wait a minute, you're too yeah. rajasic. You're too tamasic. Yeah. Chill, baby. Just lay back. All right, come on. And they'll tell you, they'll say, hey, Hollywood, it's Hawaii. Chaka, bro. 
You I love it. it. I love it. Okay, we only have a minute left. I want to make sure the listeners know where to find your website. We're going to post it all on consciouslivingradio.org, but also where can they get your book? Where do they find out more? And do you have any events you want them to know about that are coming up? Well, there's our new book, the hardcover and the softcover. The softcover is shipping now, and the hardcover will not ship until end of December. And they can find us at gitacomesalive.com. And every Wednesday, Jeffrey will be speaking wisdom from the Gita from 7 till 9 p.m. And it's a membership community. So just go on to gitacomesalive.com. And we're making trying to make it accessible to any everybody. There's a seniors rate and adult rate. So if you want to look- taste it for less, it's on Amazon as a Kindle book as well. Yeah. There's a free, we've, we've, we've posted free classes on YouTube as well. Jeffrey Armstrong on YouTube. So for the Fantastic. first month of November, they're free. That's fantastic. Thank you. I've got it all posted down below in the comments. Oh, Anybody watching on Facebook as well, oh. it'll be all on consciouslivingradio.org uh, uh, for our Wednesday radio appearance as well. So we'll, we'll have all of that information ready and available. Absolutely. Thank you, very much. Thank you both for joining. It's It's been delightful. We could have gone on and on. I know we could have just, because we never even got to technology. I really wanted to ask you about the global situation and technology and where all that's headed, oh, which is... I guess we'll just have to do more. We might have to do another. I think so. And I, I really look forward to reading uh, your your mm-hmm. interpretation as well as in, uh, of the book, because I've read a couple of different versions myself over my uh, history and love affair of ancient India and my experiences. So I look forward to reading something that may be a little less colonized. Thank you. Um, and I yeah. don't interpret it. I just translate it. Yes. So therefore, you is between you and Krishna. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank, thank you so you. much. That was thank fantastic. You. Okay, everyone. We'll see you next week. Bye.
have been listening to Conscious Living Radio. For free show downloads, additional information about our guests and topics, or details about upcoming programs, check us out at ConsciousLivingRadio.org.